centers all over the world. Our hope with this episode and our uh, program altogether is um, to enhance and foster, educate organizations and leaders on the most effective techniques and practices that foster cultural intelligence, cultural awareness, so they can increase productivity, profitability, and retention. We do know that understanding cultures has a ripple effect on the end results in our multicultural and global world. And we have a special guest today from Beirut, all the way from Beirut, Lebanon, and that's Miss Sadika Kibbi. I pronounced it correct, right? Yes. Let me uh, introduce you to our viewers and listeners. Sadika Kibbi is a corporate trainer and workshop designer. Sadika is known for her unique storytelling style. She's also a TEDx speaker and a member of the National Storytelling Network in the U.S. Sadika is John Maxwell, executive director and one of his licensed and certified coaches, speakers, trainers, and teachers. He's also the recipient of the 2020 John Maxwell Cultural Award for equipping others. She's also the author of two books. The first one is entitled The Temptations of the Flesh in Madame Bovary and the Awakening. That should be interesting. The second is a collection of 20 short stories entitled The Hidden Face of Shahrazad. Sadika has also published two research essays, articles, and many short stories in diverse national and international magazines. In 2016, Sadika founded an NGO called Hoon Insan, which means being human. It aims at coexistence, social cohesion, and peace building and bridging gaps between different political, social, and religious communities within Lebanon, mainly through storytelling. Based on her experience in public speaking and storytelling, Sadika noticed how titles and labels fade away and eventually disappear once a human heart is touched. Her NGO's mission is also to empower women and youth. Welcome, Sadika. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you so much. I'm really honored and pleased to be here. Thank you. I am impressed with this biography. Uh, how did you find time for all of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have a goal, uh, you just can find your way. Sometimes one path uh, gets blocked, uh -huh. but the goal is always there. So you, you just find another path and it leads you right to it. Excellent. Well, we want to help people to get closer to Lebanon, to the people of Lebanon, the culture, leadership style, communication, also a conflict resolution. I do know that we, uh, today, of course, we will find people here, especially here in the US, we will find people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And Lebanese people 
are one of the most affluent, intelligent, and hardworking people that I've met here in the United States. I do appreciate their commitment, their tenacity, and also their background. Not everyone know about Lebanon. Not everyone knows about the culture. And this is our hope today. So I, I want to just stay quiet and let you tell us <laughs> everything because as we spoke yesterday, I was so touched and also uh, intrigued by everything that is going on in Lebanon and um, what people have to endure. And uh, it's very amazing, yet they still have hope. They wake up every day wanting to make a difference and wanting uh, a better future for themselves and others. So let's talk about who are the Lebanese people? Well, the Lebanese people are, if I can tell you first, I can start with their culture. They are very cultured, very knowledgeable. They really seek education. Uh -huh. And uh, this has been going on ever I've been born and aware about the Lebanese and what is happening around me. Lebanese people strive to put money on the side in order to educate their kids, most of them. Mm -hmm. No matter how, how much it will cost, they will go for it. Mm -hmm. You have, of course, you have a a social class that is underprivileged and of course there you wouldn't find but they, they will do their best still mm -hmm. to educate their kids in, in a way or another uh -huh. but we really really um, highly hold education at heart and uh, we really do our best to do that so most of us they get their kids through schooling through university and even till phd if they want and it's the father and mother they that pay for that mm -hmm. uh, now recently recently because of what is happening economically the students have started working as waiters and mm -hmm. you know those kind of jobs in order to put money on the side to uh, for their education but usually it's the parents that go all the way and pay all that for them. So this is mainly for the Lebanese. The second thing is that we have been through civil war since 1975. Mm -hmm. And I know that my people are really, really resilient. Uh -huh. They've been, they fall, they rise, they fall, they rise. In, in small words, we are the Phoenix and Lebanon is known for for, for that, it's one of our symbols. So you know the story of the phoenix that yes. rises from the ashes. And this is what we have been doing over 40 years now. <laughs> okay, so number one, we know that Lebanese uh, value education. Yes. Number two, Lebanese are resilient yeah. people. So yes. these are the two first uh, qualities that we are learning. Now, yes. the other thing, uh, the, the third aspect is, has to do with the religious sex yes. and differences that you have in, in Lebanon. Sometimes people, when you um, talk about Lebanon, they think it's just one kind, one sect, but there are so many 
variety of beliefs and practices uh, that people may not be aware of. Please tell us about that. Yes. Before, before I would like to add one more quality, which is hospitality. Lebanese uh -huh. people are hospitable. They open their homes for, for anyone. Uh -huh. And they're very generous. So this is also a great quality, which I love. And until now, wherever you go, although we have this conflict, uh -huh. whomever you go to, they will be there for you. They will, especially with foreigners, they are ready to open their homes and uh, welcome them uh, as should be, if you want. <laughs> Okay. So we are, yeah, we are diverse in Lebanon. We are 18 sects. We are not, oh, we come from three main religions, if you want, uh -huh. Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam. And okay. uh, we have been known to uh, coexist mm -hmm. since early times, and we were known to be one. We never thought that there will come a day uh -huh. where there will be the other, you know, the other didn't exist. Yes. Yeah. So, so. Uh, tell us about these uh, sects. We, we, we know Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. Tell us about those sects that you're talking about within these religions. What are they? And if you can point out differences, that will be wonderful. Okay. Here, I will ask you to allow me to read a bit. I'll, uh, I'll be introducing all 18 sects and a bit uh -huh. where they are located in Lebanon and those small differences, if you want, in a way. Sure, sure. So we have, in, in Islam, we have the Shiites first, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they are mainly located in southern Lebanon. Okay. And in the western parts of Bika mm -hmm. and uh, the southern uh, suburb of Beirut. So they're okay. mainly located there. Uh, the difference between Sunnis and Shia is very, very slight. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, about Imam Ali. Yes. They, they highly uh, take him into regard and he is kind of, uh, there is a balance between him and the prophet, if you want. So they, uh -huh. he is highly regarded. Although the Sunnis also, they, they, also have this high um, regard to uh, Ali. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's kindly taken differently in, in the Shia sect. Yes. Then you have, uh, uh, and the Shiites concerning politics or the parliament, they have 27 reserved seats because Lebanon uh, uh, political, if you want, uh, regime is based on sectarianism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she has have 27 reserved seats in parliament. Okay. And it's the only sect eligible for speaker of the parliament. Okay. So the speaker of the parliament has to be uh, from the Shia uh, sect. Okay. Then you have the Sunnis that are concentrated in West Beirut, in Tripoli, in Sidon, and in Akkar, the countryside of uh, Tripoli. Okay. Only also Sunnis have 27 reserved seats in parliament, and it's the only sect eligible for prime minister. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. Uh, then also as Muslims, you have the Alawites uh -huh. 
and they are concentrated in an area in Tripoli known as Jabal Muhsin, and in 15 villages in Akkar. It's, it's towards the north of Lebanon. Okay, before you move forward, um, who are the Alawites? Okay, so the Alawites are also a Muslim sect, as uh -huh. I said. Mm -hmm. And the difference is uh, they are closer to the Druze. They believe in reincarnation, for example. Okay. And uh, also another difference, they don't fast in Ramadan like the Druze. They fast before the uh, Adha uh, Eid or the Adha uh, festivities. Yes. 10 days, 10 days before. So they're closer to the Druze uh, belief, if you want, in, in, in that sense. Okay. All right. right. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. And the Alawites have two reserved seats in the parliament, by the way. Just two. Are they a mi minority? Yes. They consider yeah. to okay. be minorities. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm moving into the minorities uh, of Muslims, the Alawites and the Ismaili. Ismaili. Now, is Alawit, Ismaili, what's the difference? Okay, so the Ismaili are, uh, if you want, part of the Shia as well, the Shiites, okay. and they are, uh, they they differ from them is that they accept Moses, okay, as the seventh Imam. I see, very interesting. Yes, and uh, they also recognize his brother Ismail instead of. Uh, Muhammad, if you want. So That's as, as the one who, who got the message. Yeah. So, so let me understand. Moses is the seventh, uh, the seventh Imam. Imam. And yeah. Ishmael is... Is a prophet. Yeah, they recognize him. Prophet. As, yeah. Okay. Okay. I see. Well, Ishmael is, uh, is obviously... Um, the prophet Muhammad is the, from... The offspring of Ishmael is that is that correct? So okay, yeah. go ahead. Okay, this is and getting interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it is very interesting <laughs> and, and confusing sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes it confusing. Helpful. It's so helpful to understand these because a lot of people when yeah. they talk about a country, they they put everybody in a lump sum, um, and they don't look or they don't. Um, investigate a little deeper on the makeup of that society so that they can understand how to work with them. So this is beautiful and very enlightening. Go ahead, please. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to the Christian. Uh, you have the Maronites. Uh-huh. And they are the largest Christian group in Lebanon. Okay. They are mainly concentrated in North Beirut. Uh, the northern part of Mount Lebanon. Okay. The southern part of north, the north governorate and the south governorate of uh, Beirut. And okay. Maronites have 34 reserve seats in parliament. Okay. And it's the only sect eligible for the presidency. I see. So no one else can be president except this sect of Christians. Yes. Yes. Now, what what should we know about the Maronites? What do they believe in? 
Oh, they they're, they're Christians. They have their own church. Uh -huh. I don't know the, the slight differences between them, by the way, but uh, okay. they have also their own church. Uh, okay. Where they go to. And then you have the Greek Orthodox. Greek Orthodox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are the second largest Christian sect in Lebanon. Uh, with the majority of its population located in Ashrafiye, it's an area in Beirut. Uh -huh. um, another area around the suburbs, if you want, you have Duma, Dhumur uh -huh. Square, Mansouriye, and Enfe. Okay. So these are where you find mainly Greek Orthodox, and they have 14 reserved seats in Parliament. And it's the only sect eligible for deputy speaker of parliament and deputy prime minister. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So we have Maronite, we have Orthodox. So next one. And next one are the Greek Catholics. Greek Catholics. Okay. And they are concentrated in central and eastern parts of the country, including Beirut, Zahle, and the suburbs of Sidon. Okay. The number eight is the Armenian Orthodox. Armenian Orthodox, okay. Okay, and they are concentrated in many areas around Lebanon, particularly Burj Hamoud, Fanarj, Daide, Zal'a, Jaladib, Antilles, those areas. Uh -huh. And uh, the Armenian Orthodox have five reserved seats in parliament. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the ninth is Armenian Catholics. Armenian Catholics, okay. And they have one reserved seat in Parliament. I see. And uh, next? Next is the Syriac Orthodox. Syriac Orthodox. Yes. Uh, who are they? Uh, they are located in uh, mainly in Mount Lebanon, and I guess originally they come from Syria or Bilad Sham, as we call it, the Damascus. Yes. Are yeah. they the Assyrians? Uh, uh, no, the Assyrians. Do they have no? No, no, no we have no, we have Assyrians. They are Assyrians. So, yeah. so is it is it safe to say that even the people in Lebanon may not know about each other? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly, you can say that. I told you it's confusing. <laughs> we we need a cultural intelligence class just for Lebanese to know about Lebanese. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And then you have the Nestorians, Assyrians. Nestorian <laughs> Assyrians. Have you heard yes, of those? They're, they're a minority. They are, those are minorities, yes. Yes, okay. And then we have the Kal, uh, Chaldeans. I don't know how to pronounce this, but this is how it's, uh, it's written. C-H-A-L-D-E-A-N-S. Okay. okay. So how would you pronounce it? I'm, I'm not pretty sure about the pronunciation. It's Chaldeans. Okay. In Arabic, but I don't, I, I don't know how to pronounce it in English properly. And then you have the Copts. Yes. And they mainly come from Egypt, the, the, the origin, I mean. And then you have the Latins or Roman Catholic. Okay. 
and they are uh, altogether a minority from, um, I mean, and they have one shared seat in parliament. Uh, and 16, you have the evangelicals, including Protestant groups, such as the Baptists and the Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> evangelicals also have one reserved seat in parliament. Wow. So we have subgroups also. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I'm listening to this, okay, and, and I'm picturing myself in Lebanon trying to uh, work with all these people, with all these different belief systems. It, it must be quite um, interesting. Do, let me ask you this, when you are dealing with each other, do you know the difference or you are operating all under the umbrella of being uh, Lebanese? Do you care who you're dealing with as far as belief systems? Of course not. not. Okay. Okay. Does it show on the behavior or no. it does not show? Okay. No. I just wanted to Mona, I have to tell you something which is very important. Yes. Um, if not for the politicians in Lebanon, no one would know who is who. Yes. I, agree I mean, with if, you. yeah, if you leave it to the people, nobody cares. Yeah. So and we're just one. Yeah, and I think that's that's everywhere. And sometimes I ask myself, why do we need politicians? Really, um, they create more division than uh, than unity. And uh, yeah. the way it should be is people and we, we all the same. And then we should respect yeah. everyone's beliefs and everyone's system and a lifestyle. Definitely. That's, Definitely. that's what I think. Now, uh, I still have two more to go. Oh, two more, go ahead, please. Yes. So you have yes. the Druze. The Druze, yes. And they are concentrated in the mountains area in the east oh. and south of Beirut. Uh -huh. uh, mainly in villages. Okay. And they, and they have eight reserved seats in parliament. And the Druze are kind of secretive about their religion. So really? even, even the Druze themselves can... above 40 and I have to choose what you call priest or priestess in, in their uh, religion so they would know the essence of that religion so they are it's a secretive if you want kind of religious um, okay. so D-R-U-Z-E yeah. and yes and you have priestesses and priest, priests you have both women and uh, male and females very, very nice. Okay. To, yeah. And they have eight seats. I mentioned that in parliament. And then you have Judaism, which is centered uh, around the synagogue in Beirut. By okay. the way, this year we reopened the synagogue because it was after the civil war, it was um, damaged, like, okay. like, like all downtown Beirut, I mean. So this year it was uh, reopened again and uh, mainly in an area called Wadi Abu Jmil. Okay. The neighborhood. It's uh, it's the Lebanese Jewish uh, where the Lebanese Jewish community is gathered, uh, mm -hmm. if you want. So these are the sects, the Lebanese sects in Lebanon. That was a long list. <laughs> yeah. And as I told you, if you come here, you walk in the streets, you wouldn't know who is who because we all look the same, we all speak the same, we all have the same culture. If not for politicians, nothing yeah. would, uh, nothing of the differences would come up. Yes, yes, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, 
let me ask you this. I do understand that uh, that you speak Arabic. Well, let's back back it off here. You speak the Lebanese dialect in yes. Lebanon, but you yeah. do understand Arabic, the classical Arabic, as you studied in school. Oh, of course. Right? And obviously, English is widely spoken, French as well, and maybe other languages. Now, a lot of people, they will or they do assume that Lebanese are Arabs because they speak Arabic. And that is not quite right. Because when I, I mean, and you know Lebanon better than I do, but when I do speak with some Lebanese uh, people here, a lot of them, they say they're Phoenicians. And Canaanese uh, from Canaan, and uh, they may be Arabs, Arabized, uh, but they're not Arabs of, let's say, for example, Saudi Arabia or Yemen or other places. They're, they're different in makeup. They, True. It's like any other country where um, Arabic is spoken or some dialect of Arabic is spoken. People are not really Arabs. And that what uh, a lot of people get confused on and make mistake on putting all these people in one basket when you're talking to lebanese people who would they uh describe what what do they describe themselves as as far as ethnicity okay so um as you said we are really a melting pot i can call it uh-huh if you go back to the roots you you will find you will be amazed i mean most maybe you'll find assyrians you would find as you said Canaanites. you would find i did my dna last year uh -huh. and i turned out to be 59 percent italian wow yes and i had nothing to do with arabs at all nothing nothing it was italian greek and uh, spain something from spain and it was a combination of European, if you want, DNA. And I had something American as well, like a tiny uh, percentage. So if each one of us goes and uh, does that DNA, we're going to discover some, because, you know, many civilizations yes. came to Lebanon and uh, we're, not, we're not pure Arabs. There might be. Yeah, yeah. There might course. be because, yes. uh, yeah, because of the closeness of, the uh, the makeup of the the geographical makeup yes you, definitely uh -huh. there might be but we are um, a multi pot of different <laughs> DNAs I guess and I assume but let me tell you something that most of the Christians so to speak they say whenever you ask them they they don't want to say that they belong to the Arab uh, the, the group the or the ethnicity. Yes. yes. They, they say we are Phoenicians. This is our yes. religion. And when you talk to Muslims, Muslims identify to Arabs more than Christians do. So the Muslim would tell you I'm an Arab, while the Christian would tell you I'm a Phoenician. I don't know if the religion has uh, something to play with that. 
but because we identify Islam with the Arab Peninsula and this is where it appeared and this is how it started, this is why maybe we identify as Muslims as Arabs and we say that we are Arabs. It has yeah. been it's an oral transmission, by the way, but if you dig deep and you have your curiosity to find out your roots, you can do the DNA test as I did. I think I'm, I think I am inclined to doing that and just find out who I really am. Really? Who I really am. And one thing that um, that you mentioned where uh, with Muslims that identify themselves with the Arabian Peninsula because you mentioned something that Islam started there. Well, I I disagree because it really did not start there. Uh, Islam and its definition is total peaceful submission to the will of God. That's what it means. So therefore, Islam has been there forever. And whoever uh, the person that first no, I mean, himself as a Muslim is Abraham. That is obviously, who is obviously um, uh, who submitted to the will of God and we know the rest of the story. So a lot of yeah. people, a lot of times people make this uh, assumption, or perhaps I will call it a mistake that Islam is associated with the Arabian Peninsula, which it can be partially true. But in, in fact, if we go and do our research, it's not. It's simply the, the peaceful uh, submission to the will of God. And that has happened since the beginning of time. Yes, I agree. I fully agree with you, Mona. This is yes. this is what Islam means. It is the submission, and I think that every single human being is a Muslim in that sense. In that sense, yeah. Yes, in that sense. But I, what I meant is where the Quran was uh, revealed. Reveal. Yes. Or uh, I wouldn't say reveal. Or where Muhammad maybe was was born. Was living. In a way. And yes, yes. It's I more think. related to Muhammad than than related to the religion itself. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Um, yeah. Next uh, topic, we are going to talk about doing business with Lebanese. What mm -hmm. number one? Uh, I noticed that they're uh, hagglers. I mean, it's very tough to do business with them because they will go back and forth. They're great negotiators, by the way, great negotiators. And if you don't have the, the patience and you don't know anything the, about the culture, it will be very difficult for you as Americans here to um, do business with Lebanese because number one, they do their research. Number two, they're aware. Number three, they assume they are the smartest, okay? Okay, I worked with them, so that's why I am sure in this <laughs> And number four, they say, well, if you're selling it for that price, you can sell it to others for that price, but you're not going to sell it to me for that price. And mm -hmm. they they really, really haggle with you and they go back and forth to the point by the end of the transaction or the sale, you say, <laughs> oh, I need a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they may not even do business with you. They, 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 can, they can drag you all the way and they may not do business with you. So tell us the right way to do business with Lebanese. <laughs> By the way, this is uh, 
I guess it's our circumstances that made us uh, turn out to be tough to deal with business-wise. Yeah. Because we really do our homework. We really, because we have been stabbed in the back many times. Yes. And uh, many times we have relied on other people's kind of analysis or uh -huh. strategy. Uh -huh. And we learned. Yes. So when we learned, as you said, we, we do our own homework and it is tough really to deal with Lebanese. You have to really know where they come from. And uh, the, the, something you mentioned here, it is that we have this kind of ego and I guess it started, it's starting to disappear after what happened now. Oh, and okay. uh, with the circumstances we're going through. Because mm -hmm. we always, always labeled as ourselves as the smartest and as uh, more, the more productive. Uh -huh. And as you are lucky if you have a Lebanese in your organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also, if you want, tagged ourselves with a very high price. I see. So basically... Uh, um, it, it all goes back to the ego uh, sense of uh, things, right? Yes, but yes. but but let's but but let let's also give ourselves the um, credit. Of course, that that really we are hard worker, yes. hard workers. We really do our research, and and we know what we're doing. We, we learned how. I mean, to take things step by step, and not throw ourselves anywhere uh, just blindly, you know? Yes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we're still blind when we follow a leader. I was going to mention, I was just about mentioning that, what thank you for saying it. <laughs> yes. Even the smartest, even the most educated one of us are uh -huh. still blind in following their leaders. But when it comes to business or anything else, uh -huh. we we do the homework top notch, you know. So I, I believe that um, that goes with the loyalty for the sect, for loyalty for that belief system. I, I I'm assuming, and that's why there is a, a they follow, like you said, blindly the leaders. I guess it it, it just which in one sense you can understand the loyalty facts perhaps. Um, I wouldn't call it loyalty, Mona, uh -huh. because, because uh, each leader is catering to his uh, people. Okay. Or to his, and okay. Lebanon's sectarian reg uh, regime, if you want, or system uh -huh. based on something we call wasta. Wasta, yeah, the middle, the middle the, man. The medium or, or the middleman, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whatever you are qualified or you're not qualified, this position is for this particular person from the Shia sect or from the Sunni sect or from the Maronite or whatever. It has to be filled in by this person in particular and it's the leader who appoints. I see. So this is how they are manipulating and this is how they pull the strings mainly. Uh, when it comes to the underprivileged, he is the one who provides the medication, he's the one who provides the food, he's the one who provides the clothing, but they don't provide the tools. 
I see. Mm. So it's done on purpose. It's there is a strategy to keep those underprivileged because there is a huge underprivileged community. When it comes to voting, they just go like um, groups of like sheep, if you want, to the, the voting boxes, and they yeah. just pour the votes inside those boxes blindly, without questioning, because he's the provider. But, and they refuse to give them tools because when you give the, a person the tools, he, he gets his independence and they yes. no longer can control them. So this is how it works mainly. And when you are from a rich family or, or, or I mean the upper class, it's, your position, mm -hmm. it's the position, it's, uh, it's uh, the power they promise you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. This is how it works in the country. In the country. So I am assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, it's just like any vertical uh, society where authority is regarded as um, a sacred and we have to listen, we have to abide by the rule because we are thinking that the authority will take care of us. Exactly. This has been instilled over the years, you know, it has been instilled in, in brain, people were, are brainwashed. And this is why it's taking longer for us to cut those, this, the umbilical cord, I'm going to call it. Yes. Yes, I see. So uh, what should we look out for? Things that offend Lebanese. Let's say, let's say... Um, Let's say uh, we, we are going to pick two scenarios. One personal where we are going into a Lebanese house, what should we do? And also if we have a team member, we're working with Lebanese people, what things that you can tell us to stay away from um, and avoid when it comes to working with Lebanese and dealing with them? Uh, when you walk into a home, you will be uh, embraced as you are in any Lebanese home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any offense because you are the guest, you are, you will be taken care of uh, from A to Z if you okay. want. And they will do also, they, they will kind of uh, give up things in order they, to host yeah. their, their, their guests. Mm -hmm. When it comes to dealing with them, if you want, on a different level, don't talk about the leader. Don't talk about leaders. Don't talk about politics. Yeah, don't talk about their leader. You can talk about politics in general okay. and discuss things, but, but when you start uh, criticizing the leader, you will see a different face. I see. Not the religion. The religion, you can. You can discuss it. Okay. You can have a civilized discussion when it comes to, to, to religion or anything else. Yeah. But when it comes to the leader, and, and especially now we've witnessed it in the revolution, yeah. when you start talking about their leaders and that everybody has have to halas, to be condemned for whatever corruption they've done, not my leader. Don't get there. Exactly. Don't get near that. This is the, the limit, you know? So uh, I will just tell them your leaders are great, wonderful. They're doing awesome <laughs> job, right? Just to, to avoid. If you, if you want to talk, 
if you want to talk about leaders and i want to tell you something lebanese are very good hearted even yeah. in, in the business world so uh -huh. if you really want to um to gain uh, i mean or how do we do we call that to negotiate with the lebanese befriend them yeah yeah uh, they, they love that they will uh, have them have them for food have them for a party have them for any they just love it they yeah. are party people party people i i know that for sure now when <laughs> yes. i when i uh, go into the house obviously uh, is there etiquette that i have to follow take off my shoes at the door um not every house okay if, if they ask you to um, yes but mostly they they won't even just to they want to keep their guests comfortable even if they have this in their homes you know usually they don't ask for it but now with corona everybody's removing their shoes outside <laughs> <laughs> they may be removing their shoes and the clothes and they put on the, something to stay away i i get that so yeah. um, to be safe to be safe in any in any household any culture um and i deal with people from all over the world i worked with over 122 nationalities so pretty pretty confident about how things should be done and um, there are some times when i go into uh, a house i know the people like i i know the ethnicity i do the right thing right at the door Mm. Um, there are times they don't have to tell me what I need to do out of respect to their yeah, house, exactly. out of respect to their place. There are things that I have to um, do just to make sure that I am, um, I'm showing obviously uh, compassion, I'm showing empathy, I'm showing mm. respect, I'm showing all of these things and um, do good business, have laughter, have a meal, whatever we have to do. Um, yeah. The other thing that I would like to know, so we, we've covered a lot of things about Lebanon and Lebanese people. <laughs> Basically, don't talk about their leaders if yes. you want to have a good relationship. <laughs> um, uh, pump them up, pump the ego a little bit up. Make sure that you recognize their intelligence. Oh, they love that. You recognize uh, their, obviously, their civilization. Yes. And knowing their history, they come from a very rich history. And also um, make sure that you are genuinely seeking to know about them. True. Don't, don't just go out there and um, ask for the business without getting to know the person. Uh, exactly. And believe me, they... They can be your best friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just deal with the haggling side. I mean, if you cannot handle it, uh, don't <laughs> bother. But just learn a way how to uh, do business with them. And you can have them as a loyal and yes. as long-term uh, customers and also as a great leaders as well. Now, yeah. as far as leadership, I know how it looks like, but I want to ask you. Hmm. Uh, let's say I have a manager at work and he's from Lebanon. How does he lead? How does he lead the people? Um, is it a horizontal style that everyone is equal or he is? Although you may have answered this, but this is so important for listeners to 
understand if they have a Lebanese uh, manager, they have a Lebanese leader, they've got to understand this is the style and you have to know how to work with that style. Otherwise you will have problems, misunderstanding, and you will end up quitting that job. So what do we know or what do we want to know, okay. should know about Lebanese leadership? Uh, Mona, I'm going to tell you something. There is not one style. Mm -hmm. There are different styles. Mm -hmm. And what I came to learn, especially when I became a DISC uh, consultant and trainer, yeah. that you really need to do that personality test for your employees because each one will respond differently. Each one will lead differently according to their personality type. Yes. So in Lebanon, we have... Uh, the direct, if you want, the D type, which is the, the, the one who wants things done immediately mm -hmm. and perfectly, and he's dominant and all this stuff. And you have the inspirational and you have the, uh, 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 I mean, the one who is uh, analytical. You have this, yes, yeah. you have the types. Mm -hmm. And once you know that, you know how to approach them. So they are like any other people I can say around the world. But uh, right. personally, I have ex had a beautiful experience with uh, one of the leaders here. I used to be a consultant and a trainer is in his company. It's called Averda Group. Mm -hmm. um, and his name is Maisara Sikkar. Uh -huh. I have never seen something like this before. I don't oh. know where he ca he comes from. He's from a different planet, I can say. Yeah. Uh, it, his company is about waste management. Uh-huh. And uh, the minute I stepped into that company, the first day I remember I walked into a huge parking lot where I parked my car. But in that this, this parking lot was divided into different sections. Uh-huh. On, on one side, there was a co-op. On another side, there was something called the free box. On a different side, there was the huge training center. Uh -huh. And then when you, you walk in further, you have the cafeterias, the restaurant, two restaurants, huge ones, and you have a dormitory and you have a clinic. It, it was a, it's a huge campus, if you want, or a huge uh, uh, venue. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I was like, puzzled and the minute I uh, walked into the training center I started questioning them explain to me what did I see what is happening here uh -huh. and they said uh, the co-op of course is where you have everything all the products for lower prices than you can find them in in Beirut it is for, for the employees and for the little men's wives that do home produce and they put that produce in the co-op and this is how they have a second income for the family. Uh -huh. So you would find jams, you would find mazahir, mawarid, all these kind of water we do in Lebanon, rose water and, and yes. all, all stuff. And then the free box, this concept, he came uh, with it, whatever, you have at home that you do uh -huh. not need. Mm -hmm. Bring it, you put it in that box. They they fix it, they clean it, whatever, and it is left there for anyone to walk in, take it, and leave. Wow. 
And then you, you have the clinics where you can find the dentist. Have you ever seen a company in the whole world providing a dentist for free for the employees? And we were 6,000 employees wow. in that company. From dentist to psychiatrist to nutritionist, whatever doctor you can think of, they were there. Yeah. Including, of course, uh, uh, insurance and stuff. It was also there, but this wow. was a clinic on the spot. Then you had uh, the uh, cafeterias because six thousand, and you have people who slept on on in the venue because they came from Akkar, they came from all regions of Lebanon. Instead of going wow. back and forth, they stayed there. This guy was like, oh my god, a dream, you know. So you, you can find all types of leaders in Lebanon. And, and always my advice is really a personality test is a must. So you know the person you are dealing with. So and I guess, how um, you can... Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. And that, that is a, a true in, in so many countries. But there's some or certain traits that you notice about a certain... Lebanese, you mean, in particular. Yes. Um, and I will say to everyone, don't be afraid to ask questions. Oh, at all. Communication. Uh, they are very good communicators, by the way. Um, and I got to the, the habit, and sometimes people may call it aggressive way of doing things or um, not the right way, but you and I want to save time. If we are working together, you and I want to understand each other. And if we don't communicate, and if I don't ask you, how do you like, or how do you find, or how would you like our relationship to be? How do you work? How, uh, what is most important to you? Um, the how and what, I think these are important questions. And yes. specifically, uh, the why question, why are we doing this? And I think if we are all uh, in understanding and we start the relationship with that in mind, I think a lot of people will get along, will do good business and will have a long-term relationship. Uh, what is it that you're expecting from me? And what is it that I'm expecting from you? How would you like me to approach you? How would you like me to treat you? How would you like me to work with you? How would you like to be addressed? All of these questions have to be asked for people to have fruitful and have a profitable relationship and meaningful relationship. So yeah. I appreciate everything that you have shared with us. So we covered the makeup of this society. We covered all the sects. We covered the culture <laughs> that is hospitable. We covered how do you deal with Lebanese, whether at work or personal level. Yeah, what yeah. else can you tell us? Can, can I, I'm going to add something here with the managerial level. They sure. like to have the upper hand. They, yes. they like to, to, to feel kind of independent, kind of given a green light to do to take their to make their own decisions without referring always to the higher, um, if you want, or the the to go hierarchy wise, you know, they like to have this. Uh, and I want to pinpoint something. Uh, values. 
I mean, if the values of the company meet my personal values, I'm going to be doing things with passion. I'm going to be more dedicated. I'm going to be, and they like to be in the big picture. I mean, when Mona comes to the uh, Lebanese manager and they talk about the five-year plan of the company or the organization, they like to see them. They like to to see themselves in that picture. So when Mona's explaining, she would say. Yes, Sadika, we will be there together doing so and so and so. They they like that as well. So this is how you can, if you want, inspire them and motivate them to to, to stick around and, and really give their whole, full potential. So in other words, they like that feeling of belonging. Exactly. And especially that, that we have lost it in the country. You yes. Know? That meaning that their views, their... Um, Appreciated. is appreciated and needed and wanted, which is yes. extremely important. Um, after talking to you, I'm just going to go out there and just say, hey, are you Lebanese? I would love to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, uh, I think we covered everything. Don't you think we covered pretty much yes. everything? If you'd like to ask anything else, I'm ready. I mean, I am enjoying this and I am um, actually learning and learning a lot of things. And it's so sad that we are so, um, or we at least put ourselves in this box yeah. that we think our views are the only views. ones that exist. Our yeah. ways are the only one that exists. Our style is the only one. And there are over 7 billion people out in this planet and everyone is different. If we take time to understand about them, trust yeah. me, we will be feeling fulfilled. We'll have an amazing, amazing relationship, amazing world, amazing um, outcome and the feeling that we all belong to one place, which is called Earth, where all are human beings. So with that being said, I am going to leave you with the last statement for this episode. If you wish to add a little bit more about uh, Lebanese, about Lebanon, please feel free. And after this, we'll end um, our session. And um, I just want to say I truly, truly valued every uh, idea, every uh, statement you made, every input you, you gave you. today. And also thank you so much for your time as well. So thank go you. ahead, the, uh, the microphone is all yours. <laughs> I'm not gonna take much, but I would like to, uh, for everybody to know that when it comes to being human and standing on that platform, we really can discover, um, if you want, the human God created. And I learned this from my uncle George who saved my life during the civil war. That's another story. Uh -huh. And uh, he was the one who instilled in me this philosophy that I'm gonna share now. It, it became my philosophy in life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is when you hold God in your heart the human he created reveals itself by serving others. And then, and only then, even your enemy becomes human. And wow. this is how my NGO was born in 2016. 
And this has really become my philosophy in life. And I have been trying to spread it all around Lebanon and all around the globe because it is much needed. Uh -huh. And I believe that we are born human, but we are on a journey to become human. Yes. And uh, once you discover that human, you, you're at peace, full peace. And no matter what goes around you, like here in Lebanon, every other day we have something special happening in the yeah. country. So yeah. this is what keeps you going. Um, your faith, your faith in God, your faith in humanity, your faith in, in being human, and that there will be a helping hand out there to support you and a back to lean on or or. or somebody to lean on and this is exactly what happened when the last blast happened in Lebanon you, you in in this I mean 10 minutes maybe or 15 yeah. minutes after the blast every single Lebanese were in that area helping no matter where they came from no matter the political religious whatever background they were all there they just poured into that area and and it's magic it was magic and nobody nobody can could believe what was happening the politicians just disappeared they didn't even make a statement yeah they, they just disappeared and all the work that was done it was done by the people for the people and it's still happening it's still ongoing it, this is why we are moving slowly very slowly because we have no help the international community has put themselves on the side because they don't want to give anything to the corrupt leaders mm -hmm. and the leaders are still ripping off the people. But we are coming together when it comes to that. But still, when you mention their leaders, they will become aggressive. <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't mention any of that. I won't mention any of that. This is instead, what you just, just shared is very, very touching. At the same time, it's so important. And we um, have to come to a realization that being human is an experience that we have to learn how to experience. It's true. It's a process, actually. You're not born human. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process that yeah. you have to learn. I mean, yeah, you have to learn to become a human being. Yeah, it's not yeah, easy. Absolutely, absolutely. And and your NGO, um, in my vision, pretty much is um, they have a lot of similarities. Just like I stated before, my mission with this whole um, uh, venture and business is obviously to educate organization and leaders mm -hmm. that are in need of this knowledge of cultural knowledge. Because once you have that knowledge, your team perform better. Yes. You are, you are in essence, a better leader. So what does that mean? That means is there's more productivity, more profits, and people are loyal to you. There is a higher rate of retention and also um, minimizing from losses that are, can be in the millions, billions of dollars. Yeah. So, and yes, yes, absolutely. So I think we're past Thank our you. hour. I appreciate you. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you so much for Thank this. You. Thank you. Amazing. Really uh, honored. 
Uh, uh, same here, my dear. And if there is anything we can help you with your endeavors as far as the NGO goes, whatever effort you're trying to make. Um, Thank you. And we know you're you're doing a great job and uh, trying to make a different difference in the world. Please let us know. Thank you so much, Mona. And I'm I'm gonna bust, just add something uh, that sure. really I'm doing now. I'm doing something called value-based leadership. You can check it out, Global Priority Solutions. Uh -huh. It's an American, it's actually Amish. They set 50 uh, values mm -hmm. and uh, you can have those roundtables in your in organizations to bring people together. It is doing wonders. I started those roundtables in Lebanon uh, through Zoom. We're doing that now, and I'm growing the community of facilitators to grow, to grow, and go out there and start transforming Lebanon. And those values, uh, they go up to 50. As I said, you have forgiveness, you have attitude, you have listening, you have responsibility, self-esteem. Amazing. Go do your research. They can be implemented in companies and. This is how you can also bring people together and it's doing wonders in Lebanon so far. And it has done wonders with John Maxwell in Costa Rica, Paraguay and Guatemala. He has transformed countries with those values. And I'm trying to do this in Lebanon. Fantastic, wonderful endeavor. And uh, I would love to participate. Um, invite me one day to see how it's I, going. Are you, are you Go ahead. Are you free tomorrow, Friday, uh, 7 p.m. Beirut time? If you have a roundtable. 12 p.m. our time? Yes, it's yes, it's 12 okay. p.m. your time. I guess we'll communicate outside of this platform. And then we'll there. Great.